what about us as indigenous people? And, and, you know, and so I've had some struggles with that just in the recent six to eight months as we've been, you know, going, but I mean, ultimately it's, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what your new why is Roger. And so it is, it's mine. It's, it's to bring CrossFit as a methodology through the vehicle of primary healthcare to our indigenous nations so that they can reclaim their lives as providers and protectors to their families. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. We are already well into 2022, and I hope you've enjoyed the episodes so far this year as much as I have. I can assure you that we have some very exciting guests planned for the rest of the year and just wanted to give a heads up to those of you who are keeping track. You may notice that I'm going to slow down a bit further from here on out from bi-weekly episodes to every three weeks. This will allow me to continue to increase the quality of each episode while maintaining the consistency that we've had here for the past nearly seven years of pursuing health. Now, before we dive into this particular episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. All right. Welcome to Pursuing Health. Today, I am joined by Dr. Roger Boyer II, who's both an American and Canadian citizen, citizen of the Anishinaabek Nation, which is an indigenous nation of 1.7 million people that stretches across Canada and the American Midwest. I'm excited to dig into more about what that means. Roger holds a PhD in intercultural studies, a master of divinity, as well as a master of science and biochemistry, which is quite the education. And he is a certified health executive for the Canadian College of Health Leaders. Roger works in indigenous healthcare as a director of comprehensive primary care, as well as many other healthcare improvement initiatives. He's also the leader of CrossFit Indigenous, which is a project aimed at cultivating a community of indigenous CrossFit athletes. And I'm really excited to talk about that today as well. Also, not in his formal bio, but he happened to be my judge. I found out recently at the first Rogue Invitational on Amanda, one of my favorite CrossFit workouts ever. That was a very special event. So that was a pretty cool connection. But I'm excited to be here today and to talk about so much of your journey and the things that you're working on now. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Julie, so much for uh, inviting us to come and talk a little bit about what healthcare looks like from our perspective. So again, thank you so much. Awesome. Well, I just want to start off with first, again, thanking you for for taking the time to sit down and to provide some education and for all the work that you're doing, because it's clear, I think as we dig in, people will see that this is extremely personal for you and you're very passionate about it and creating real tangible change for your community. So I want to start with that because I want to put it out there up front. I am only recently really starting to learn more about the history of Indigenous people in North America and some of the challenges that you face today as well. And I know for me growing up in Michigan, we both were born in Michigan. I remember learning some about the Indigenous um, history of Michigan, but I also know there's a lot of misinformation out there that people may learn in their education growing up in the U.S. at least. So I just want to start with that disclaimer. I may make some ignorant statements because this is all new for me too, but I'm really grateful to use this as a venue to be able to learn more and then educate my audience on this topic too. Yeah. 
but I think we'll all make a whole lot of mistakes in the world of being politically correct. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, one of our grandfather teachings is to be hu- humble and to love. So we'll get through this together. And, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to provide some education and information about our past and how CrossFit can definitely be a tool that helps us, you know, rebuild and reclaim, you know, who we are as human beings and, and as mm-hmm. Indigenous people. So I'm excited about sharing that with you. That's amazing. And I love that. That's something we connect on recently. And I'm excited to dig into more is just how, how CrossFit is one of those, those few things in the world that is such a level playing field that is a way that people can connect regardless of background, history, culture, you know, what language you speak. There's so many ways that people can connect just as humans and and allow us to see all the things that are so similar about us when otherwise in the world, there's a lot of things separating us. So So I thought, let's just start with a little bit of your history. So as we talked about in your bio, you're a member of the Anishinaabek Nation. So can you talk about what exactly that is, what that nation is, and and a little bit about your background in growing up? Yeah, totally. So I I too might make some mistakes here. But anyway, the the Anishinaabek Nation is one of the largest nations recognized federally, as well as from both countries, both Canada and the United States. Uh, the interesting part about the Anishinaabek Nation is, is that we are a nation that doesn't recognize a border. And so some of our, our people and some of our lands, including my own, uh, would be able to go back and forth regularly prior to contact and prior to the newcomers coming. And so a lot of the trades happen, you know, being that we're both from Michigan. So there'll be a mm-hmm. lot of history that we'll share together. A uh, big trading site, you know, for my people on the North Shore of Lake Huron uh, at Mississauga First Nation would be similar to those in Sioux Tribe uh, on the on the Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan side uh, and going to the Fort, Fort Michelin Mackinac, that wonderful Mackinac Island that we both love, you know, going there and trading at the fort and, you know, having those uh, those conversations and those, you know, uh, trading uh, markets that are there. We, we have that as well. And in Michigan, what's originally cool about that is that, you know, there's 14 intertribal reservations that, that are in Michigan, and not one of them has a CrossFit facility. So mm-hmm. my goal is, is to be able to uh, continue to use platforms like this, like Pursuing Health, to be able to talk to our, our Indian Health Service reps and our Indian, Indian Health Service people in the United States to be able to look at CrossFit as being one of those methodologies that could help erode the chronic disease problems that are amongst our people, including diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. So I think that's a shared narrative that we can work together to provide that education around. And it's the same in Canada as well. So, you know, amongst the tribal council that I belong to, uh, which is the North Shore Tribal Council, there are seven First Nations that are represented there. And again, when I was the director of primary health care there, the same three comorbidities were coming up in our clinics. And so uh, interestingly enough, uh, that's how my journey started with uh, finding out what CrossFit was and and really how to reclaim and get my life back. So that's where we are today. Awesome. And I, I, I want to dig into especially the, the health implications here in a minute, but could you describe any more of just sort of your background growing up in an indigenous community or, or what sort of cultural differences otherwise people might not be aware of? Yeah. So I think even just talking about the landscape of the, 
uh, Indigenous nations of Turtle Island or what we know as Turtle Island, which is Canada uh, and the United States. And we call it Turtle Island because if you look at it from Hubble, it looks like a turtle. And then it represents as well into our historical narrative of how creation actually came to be built on the back of a turtle shell. And so we don't have seven days to share that story. But the important part is, is again, we all uh, were created together and we were all created in this sacred circle. And so talking about the Anishinaabek Nation, um, we cover Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, the upper parts of Illinois, Indiana and Ohio. Uh, We also are in the Canadian provinces of Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec. And so there's roughly, uh, within the Anishinaabek Nation right now, there's roughly 41 First Nations that are recognized uh, as being a part of the Anishinaabek Nation. And like you said at the beginning, it's about 1.7 million. And so we are one of the largest nations in uh, what we would consider Native North America. And so the, the landscape of this is very vast. And knowing that Going back to the evidence that we've made significant, the governments have made significant amounts of investments to our Indigenous people and to our Anishinaabek nation, but not seeing the results. And instead, we're seeing pandemic uh, coming to our people and COVID, but also uh, just an epidemic of diabetes. I mean, in our communities, it's six times as high as the average population. When I was working in my community, One of the things that we found and we were able to drill down was that it was 4.3 times higher than the average Ontario in. And so for me, it really gave me the question of just asking why, you know, why is this the case? You know, why are people struggling with metabolic disease? You know, why, what's going on? And so that led to my PhD in which I studied the the connections between uh, health and the way in which that we look at health and well-being. And so there's a lot of history, uh, Julie, we're going to have to cover. So I'm going to try to do it. Quickly. I would love to. Yeah, I would love to cover that because that's something I think, you know, so all I think, listening are probably thinking about is why, why are, why is there that disparity? Yeah. And so I think it has to go back to the original spirit of intent of when the newcomers came. And for you guys, it would have been around 1492 in the States. And for us, it's actually a lot sooner. Or it's a lot later than that. I mean, Canada's only been a nation since 1852, and so it's that's again is something that I'm sure Americans don't understand is that Canada as a nation, you know, Patty Vellner, he's not that old when it comes <laughs> to representing Canada. But I mean, we're only 150, 160 years old, whereas the States is about four or five hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And so again, there's this joint history and understanding of, you know, on both sides. One, how does the government deal with these? savages. And that's exactly how it was written. That's not something that I'm making up. That's how it was actually written, both in the Jesuit relations, but also in the early documents of Thomas Jefferson. And so when we had to deal with the internal affairs or internal issues uh, of this this savage or alien uh, nation, it's a very different narrative uh, in the States than it was in Canada. And so, as we know, we were grown up, you know, the pilgrims came and we had this wonderful Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden, you know, we lived all happy ever after. That's how it went, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, we all recognize and, you know, November, we, you know, put the turkey out. We watched the Detroit Lions, you know, get beat up by the Dallas Cowboys and we enjoy our turkey and we laugh about, you know, that, that experience. But recently, we've really started to look at what is the truth? You know, what is the truth that happened to our Indigenous nations on North America? And the truth 
was is that when Christopher Columbus came, he didn't discover the United States. You know, the United States existed a long time ago with a, a native or an indigenous population called the Windat. And the Windat nation was the first nation that ever was experienced, you know, the newcomers. And again, that was real. That happened at Plymouth Rock. But what happened was, is Christopher Columbus, if you look at the history, they were so sick and they were so not well because of the trip. They, you know, they Mm -hmm. thought they were going to India and all of a sudden they found this different place. And so that whole winter and fall time, this, they gave thanks, but they gave thanks for this indigenous nation for saving their lives. The medicine of the medicine people took care of them. The food that was given was shared to help and bring them back to a healthy well-being and state. And that same joint narrative happened in Canada as well, but just a lot later. And so those whole original spirit of intent was built on this thing we call the two-row wampum. And it was a treaty that's recognized to say, hey, you live in your tall canoe and we, or your tall ship and we live in our, our canoe and we're going to join this river together and we're going to walk this life together and we're going to share back and forth just like we once did. And I think, as you know, the story didn't end very well. And mm-hmm. so um, Thomas Jefferson becomes the president of the United States and he puts a declaration of manifest destiny out that God gave us this divine place to live. And so now we can go ye and conquer and take what's originally been given to us by God. And so the savages that were impacted, and if I get emotional because these are my people, were slaughtered. There were massive massacres that happened in the United States on the hands of the U.S. government. And so the U.S. government actually used the U.S. Army to be that weapon against my people and actually killed my people. It's the biggest genocide that the American government has still not recognized. And so it's just recently been recognized. If you remember the Battle of Little Bighorn, you remember that battle, Julie? Sounds familiar, but I don't remember the details. Yeah, so the the Battle of Little Bighorn was always called a battle until the truth came out. So if you watch the movie Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which talks about Bigfoot and it talks about Sitting Bull and that whole conversation that took place, the government is actually now under the Obama administration recognize that battle as being a massacre of Little Bighorn. And it's the infamous picture, if you can, in the edits, you can show the picture of Chief Bigfoot laying in the snow like this, murdered. And it's with that picture that comes out that Charles Eastman uh, becomes our first Indigenous physician because of the love of a a colonial woman who came and taught on the... um, on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And so again, those are the stories that I think we miss out where we take the badness that happened and we create good out of it, or we see good or the silver lining. And so I think transitioning to the Canadian story, just to provide some context for our conversation, it's a bit different and it's under a man by the name of Sir Sir John MacDonald. And so Sir John MacDonald was recognized as being the first person to come up with this legislation called the Indian Act. And so there's a book that you can you can buy and you can read that's called um, Save the Child and Kill the Indian. And so the whole idea around the process in Canada was by assimilation. So using education, using these Indian residential schools where the partner between the churches and 
the government worked together to civilize the savage. And so in Canada, we had all of these Indian residential schools that came along, built on Thomas Jefferson's model at the Carlisle Indian Residential School in Pennsylvania, built across Canada to be able to educate and to civilize the savage. And so our last Indian residential school in Canada closed in 1997. That's the Kamloops Indian Residential School. That's what started this whole CrossFit Indigenous movement was the discovery of 215 dead children and bones of children at the Kamloops Indian Residential School, recognizing that these kids were illegitimately killed. Um, and then it just raveled, unraveled from there with many of the other stories coming of these marked, unmarked graves. And you've recently talked and heard last week about the Pope actually issuing the apology from the Catholic Church. So we go 500 years of history there in full circle to explain that in Canada, the tools and the weapons that the government used on our Indigenous nation was that of assimilation. Again, save the child, you know, kill the savage, whereas in the States, the U.S. government and the U.S. Army were used like they are in some places today um, to actually go in as a weapon and actually massacre and kill and create great genocide. And so when you go on our reservations, uh, you see total different social determinants of health uh, because of those situations. So again, and they're called reservations for a reason. And I never really realized this until an elder said to me, you know, we're called a reserve and, you know, wild animals go on a reserve. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're put within a boundary that says, this is the reserve. This is the wildlife reservation. And the government put us on this land and told us if we leave, if my great grandmother left my first nation and actually went into Blind River to live, she would be considered disenfranchised and lose her citizenship as an Indigenous woman, and she would become a Canadian citizen. And so there's a lot of these things, both politically, but also populationally, that happen. And so I don't think we have a whole lot of time about to talk <laughs> about that, but I think that's a great uh, golden nugget for the audience to really do some research to see what really happened. And, and maybe we can do another episode to talk a little bit about that and actually the social determinants around that. Because there's some amazing research done on adverse childhood effects that mm -hmm. cause comorbidities, the ACEs study, and so on and so forth. So that's a little bit of Indigenous history in the last five, seven minutes. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And a lot that I certainly didn't know. It's a lot to take in and try to even, you know, wrap your head around just that happening in the way that um, it's been sort of covered up or buried in history or, or not told, you know, the truth, like you said, that had to be a lot for you sort of uncovering that yourself about your own lineage. And was, all, was that all part of your PhD work when you started discovering some of these things? Yeah. So I was able, I had the blessing of being able to interview uh, qualitatively our elders along the mm -hmm. North shore uh, to tell their story about Indian residential school. And, and again, uh, you know, it's always an 80, 20 rule. It's 80% of the stuff was bad, but 20% of the stuff was some of it was good. Mm -hmm. You know, the ideas about building friendships and learning English and, you know, learning some of those things were good, but, you know, at the cost of being taken away from your family, never seeing them again. And, you know, the, the hardship that I struggle with, with seven of my own kids, five of them being my daughters, you know, if somebody was to ever come into my home 
and take my daughters away and I'd never see them again. Yeah. That, to imagine. I just, yeah. I struggle with that. You know, I struggle with that. And so that's the reality. So again, there's in Canada, there's documentation on Cindy Blackstock about the 60s scoop uh, where it talks about kids being taken from their families, taking from their, their parents to never see them again. And so you, you, you know, you talk about addiction and mental health and drug abuse and, you know, some of the issues that we struggle with on our, Mm -hmm. on our first nations, it's compounded because, because of the petri dish, if you will, or the reservation that we're put in, and we're always under observation, and we're always uh, held to a different accountability than it seems mm-hmm. that everybody else is. So, yeah, and I think you know, talking about like you said, the health implications, the effect of that, you know, childhood, like you said, the the ACEs study, the adverse childhood experiences, and the trauma there, but also this like generational trauma, like you said, of sometimes it's not even things that happened in your lifetime that are contributing to your health, but it's over time, things that happened even when you were in the womb, when, you know, before you were born, previous generations and how that all compounds um, and can impact our health. So you mentioned that, you know, there's higher rates of metabolic disease, things like diabetes, heart disease in indigenous people all over. You yourself found yourself going down that path. So can you tell us a little bit about your own story and when maybe when you first realized, wow, I'm I'm going down this path that isn't great for my health and what that felt like. Yeah. So it was in 2017, you know, four scores and seven years ago. No, <laughs> uh, no it was in, it was in 2017. And again, we I was overseeing the primary health care of Mama Wezing North Shore Community Health Services, which again is along Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario to Sudbury, Ontario. It's about 860 kilometers or 500 miles uh, of geographical area that we are providing uh, primary health care to. And the primary health care to was a roughly around 16 to 18,000 patients through our health services. And wow. so while I was leading um, this initiative, we had really started to look at pain and the the uh, the attributors to pain and pain management, alternative pain management in our communities, we started to implement physiotherapists and physiotherapist assistants and occupational therapists as a part of our primary healthcare team. And then we also started to discover, you know, the real science of addiction and really looking at addictive and addictive behavior. And we started to train our physicians and our nurse practitioners and our community members on cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interviewing, we started to understand, you know, it doesn't really matter where a person is. If it's not a priority for them, it's not a priority for the healthcare team. Mm -hmm. And so because our people were struggling with the science of addiction and the idea around addictive behaviors and, you know, coming out of this dark history of Indian residential schools and never being told that we're loved and we're cared for and, you know, never seeing our parents and then re- being repatriated back into the community and our men losing their identity and losing their roles in the community to be that provider and protector, the loss of our clan systems and the way in which that we governed our people. Uh, we were really a lost nation, uh, you know, and, and I think that's how, you know, the colonial governments had intended it to do was to, you know, get rid of this problem. And so uh, that being said, 
we started to get educated and to understand that addiction was just another chronic disease to help people manage. And so we started to look at safe injection sites and providing safe injection for our, our people walking with addictions. And again, and we and working on uh, educations around um, harm reduction and actually working with uh, clients to actually wean them or titrate them off uh, the addictive substances that were they were using, one of them being opiates and controlled substance fours. We started to look at other alternative therapies like Suboxone and Suboxone replacement. And so we started this program called Beauty from Ashes. And the focus of the program was from the South Central Foundation's War Family Warrior Program. And so again, if you if the viewers don't know South Central Foundation, uh, they are an indigenous owned and operated a healthcare system in Alaska. They have won the Malcolm Baldridge Award in the areas of global quality and evidence over the last uh, over the last two times. Not recently, but two separate times they've won. The founder of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, where I did my fellowship at, Don Berkowitz, actually oversaw the quality improvement initiatives and the white papers that went into South Central Foundation. And again, it's 100% Indigenous owned and operated for the Russian Anubic people of Alaska. And so we started to look at how could we be able to provide high quality healthcare to our people and to walk with people. And one of those key important enablers was just that destigmatizing uh, addiction and being able to work with our people to talk about that. And so... Mm -hmm. That opened up a whole other conversation with myself in the sense of, you know, understanding that, hey, you know, and walk, work, working with our docs, you know, and trying to understand, hey, we've got uncontrolled diabetics who have non-compliance in their medication and they're uh, obese and have, you know, wicked, you know, blood pressures that are not controlled. So, you know, we've got a bunch of these walking time bombs in our community and Case in point, one of my cousins in my community, I won't use his name, but he came into the clinic one time and he had an A1C of 35, young wow. guy, 28 years old, A1C of 35. I've never and, seen one that high. <laughs> and, he go, and, and anyway, he, he walks in and he goes, oh, I just need my Champax because I'm trying to quit smoking. And so he's like, I just need my Champax. And the, and the lady runs a, an A1C on him on a point of care. And she says, I don't know how you're alive and walking around. <laughs> and so they come and they get me and they're like, what should we do? And I'm, and I'm like, well, it's my cousin. So I told him he had to go to Emerge. And so, you know, amazingly enough, we have a lot of people because of the screening programs or the lack thereof in our community, where we walk around, we feel good, we feel healthy, but there's these silent, you know, bombs waiting to go off. And this is a narrative that's not just Indigenous, but it's all over. And so I think, mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about the disparities in having access and bringing it back to my initial story, you know, at that time, I was struggling. I, you know, I was struggling with uh, things that were going on. We had just went from, you know, zero uh, to five kids <laughs> in less than three years. My girls, Harmony, Emily, Hayden and Sophia, they're like one right after another. It was almost like having two sets of twins. And then with Noah in the house, it was kind of wild and crazy. And so, you know, I, I had an addictive behavior to food. And interestingly enough, that conversation,
realization through my healing process and my discovery or rediscovery of who I am, you know, I understood that, you know, this mindless eating, you know, really wasn't serving me, but it felt like it was. Mm -hmm. And it was my body actually saying, hey, you're feeling a lot of pain and you're not dealing with this pain emotionally, spiritually, sometimes physically, mentally, right? And so we're just going to layer you up like a good onion. And, you know, we're going to cover you up and protect you because you need to be protected. Mm -hmm. And so I think at that time I was drinking about, you know, I hate to say it, but I was drinking about six or eight Cokes a day, mm -hmm. eating fast food and, you know, just doing things to survive, right? And In survival mode. And so I, I remember going to my nurse practitioner at that time and jumping on the scale. And it was the first time I'd done it in a long, long time. And it was 398 pounds. And I was like, wow, you know what? There's, there's something going on here. But, you know, it was just that one trigger. And mm -hmm. so then I, I went the next day to a meeting and uh, one of our other nurse practitioners said, hey, I've been trying out this tool I've been putting together to work on our, our group medical chronic disease uh, classes that we're offering, you know, can I run it through you? Can I test you on it? Mm. And so tested me on it, you know, did my BMI, did my height, my weight, my circumference, all that stuff. And, uh, came back with a bunch of other stuff. And he's like, wow, Roger, he's like, this thing's predicting that you're going to have a heart attack at 44. And so wow. I'm like, oh no. And then it was almost like divine intervention. Cause I went home that night and Sophia, our baby at the time, she would have been around four. And so she got a brand new bike for her birthday and she was wanting to ride her bike. And so I was supposed to help her as that good dad to help her learn how to ride her bike without yeah. the bicycles. And Julie, I just, I couldn't do it. I, mm -hmm. I didn't have the stamina. I was so bloody tired and mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. And that's when I emotionally broke down. Uh, that night, I just remember you know, saying to myself, you know what, I legacy has always been important to me, doing things in a good way and being successful and, you know, being smart was always important for me to do for my kids and to show our people that we could actually compete and, and to live that good minimum odds when the good fulfilled life. And so I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. And then I walk into this child welfare meeting and one of our elders comes over to me and she says, you know, I heard you talk about you know, our people and chronic disease and diabetes. And she says, well, look at you. She says, you know, you're sitting up here in the front and you're just fat. Why don't you take care of that? And that was like, that was, that was like the last straw that, that broke the camel's back. Wow. And so, you know, no kidding. That next day I woke up, it's the 17th of July at 630. And I said, I don't really know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm going to start. And so I just started walking five kilometers. So mm -hmm. I get up at six because I had to be at work at 830. So I'm figuring, you know, I don't know how long this is going to take me. So I'd walk five kilometers in the morning and then I'd walk five kilometers after dinner at night. Mm -hmm. And through that process, uh, you know, I started to get lean. I started to understand and I probably did it a bad way. I did a caloric deficit, um, you know, meal plan where I was only eating 1500 calories at the time. And, uh, you know, I started to cut the weight. And then interestingly enough, in the little town of Reed City, my friend who's an ER physician for Spectrum, uh, she called me up and we were chatting. And she's like, I've been seeing what you're doing. I'm so proud of you. She's like, you know, have you ever, you know, looked at uh, macros or macro counting and any of this mm. stuff and nutritional stuff? And, 
you know, caloric intake. And have you ever heard of CrossFit? And at that time, uh, Dr. Michelle Whitford, she was going to CrossFit 616 in Grand Rapids. And, um, and she's like, have you ever heard of CrossFit? And I said, no. And she's like, well, you should look it up. And so, you know, we started that dialogue and what that was all about. And then Steph and I, my wife, we got flown up to one of the Northern communities in Kenora. And I think I shared this with you the last time we were sitting in the hotel that night and we just finished walking and I was trying to figure out what the rest of we were going to do for the night because it was early. And I looked across the bay and there was this church, this old church. And in the windows of the church that were lit up, it spelled CrossFit in the windows. <laughs> and I was like, isn't that that Michelle just taught, was telling us about <laughs> that we should go check out? And uh, Steph's like, yeah. So then we tried it. We walked in there to um, what's called Kenora Core or CrossFit Kenora Core. Okay. Uh, Coach Dave Emery. And I had my first CrossFit class. And so I was hooked. I took the... I took the red pill and punched out of the matrix and I lost 150 pounds. I feel good. You know, I, I look good. And, and so ultimately it's, it's been a journey and it's a continued yeah. journey. And so the journey that I found in CrossFit, I'm just hoping to share with the rest of our indigenous people and our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. I love how you talked about must've been divine intervention and sort of those four different events in a short time span were what you needed to hear at that time to, to say, I need to change something. And how you talked about before that, the work in the healthcare system and realizing that people aren't going to change unless they're ready to change, unless they have whatever those events are for them um, that make it important and give them some confidence in themselves to be able to really do it. So I'm sure that already, you know, other people around you in your community hearing your story has gone a long way. I imagine too, as you talked about you at first for you, food had become an addiction and it was covering a lot of emotional pain. So I'm curious, obviously you did a lot with your diet and a lot with exercise, but what were some of the other things that helped you to heal sort of emotionally and spiritually to make this a long lasting change for you? You know, I learned how to deal with the demons that I struggle with ever since I was a kid, right? Yeah. You know, you're, you're no good. You're not going to make it. You come from a small town of 400 people. You know, your dad's an alcoholic abuser, you know, like all those one, you know, wonderful things that our society, mm-hmm. models, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then when I found out I was indigenous, you know, you're not going to make it, you know, the whole nother narrative, you know, it yep. continues to play. And so, you know, for me, you know, I found, who I was as an Anishinaabek man and as an indigenous man, I found our ceremonies and our spirituality so helpful. You know, our sweat lodge, for instance, you know, our teaching lodges are, are were so helpful. Uh, but to be frank, you know, it was just spending time with people who loved me, people who cared about me, people who could, you know, tell me the hard truth, but say, you know what, Roger, I love you enough that I want to tell you this. And funny enough, I went back to that elder you know, just recently uh, uh, before COVID hit. So about Mm -hmm. two and a half years ago and, you know, I'd lost all my weight and she couldn't recognize me. She was like, (laughs) what's going on? And, and I said to her, I said, you know, when you gave me that, you know, good swift kick in the ass and she goes, well, what do you mean? And she didn't even remember she said that. And so it's it's those type of people, you know, that you put in your inner circle Mm -hmm. to that love you enough and that will tell you the hard things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but say, Hey, listen, you know, as you're struggling and as you're, you're wrestling, I'm going to walk and I'm going to stand right beside you. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this, 
Uh, CrossFit is that our community has been that for me. It's the great equalizer, I call it. You know, it's interesting, you know, being a, being a medical anthropologist and, you know, looking at emotional well-being and looking at, you know, the ritual process. CrossFit workouts are a ritual process. Mm-hmm. You know, we start off together. Uh, you know, we go through the pressure cooker together. We build a liminal experience and then we come out a new person, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, and we bond together. And that's why I find that's so different than our methodology, than any other methodologies. And I'm not talking bad about any of the other gyms, but you know what? You know, I've been to the Planet Fitnesses, the Orange Freedom or whatever the hell those are called. <laughs> and you know what? I, I never honestly had somebody care about me. I never had anybody say, hey, are you coming back to the WOD tomorrow? You know, or, you know, by the way, we got a partner workout. Bring your friend or your family or your mom on Saturday morning. And then we're going to go grab breakfast after, you know, it's almost like, you know, for the lack of a better term, it's almost like church before church type of thing, mm-hmm. or a spiritual gathering before a spiritual gathering. And so, it, or for us, it's almost like a powwow before, you know, a powwow. It's like, we get to yeah. sweat together. We get to, you know, give a flesh offering and then we get to go celebrate after. Right. And so mm-hmm. for me, you know, I, I don't, I wasn't raised in the CrossFit culture where, you know, only you elite athletes, you know, have that ability to be CrossFitters. You know, I was raised with CrossFit community where I'm an athlete, you know, even if I'm 400 pounds, I'm still an athlete. You know, it doesn't matter. We're all athletes. And so again, you know, looking at that, I think that community and that love, and it's not a fluffy love. It's sometimes it's a masculine it's love, yeah. which I really needed. You know, I needed some of the guys, you know, to say, Hey, listen, you know, but let's help you pick your life up by your bootstraps and uh, try to find you again. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what I think helped me emotionally and spiritually, you know, finding that connection and that purpose. And that brings us to the, you know, CrossFit indigenous and, you know, my journey of going to 113 boxes and, you know, getting a bunch of, I just started to realize what internet trolls were all about now. So you, <laughs> you have internet trolls now. I have wow. one internet troll that forever, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, what I do or what we do as CrossFit Indigenous, it's it's just an interesting conversation. It always <laughs> opened me up to provide education. And so, like I did, I walked around 113 boxes in the States and in Canada, mm-hmm. and I never seen Indigenous people in here. And I'm going, man, how awesome would it be? I mean, and I then I saw the Black Lives Matter and you know, all the stuff that's been happening around diversity, equity, inclusion. And I'm like, I'm like, what about me? What about us? What about my daughters? Mm-hmm. You know, what about, you know, when, when we were at the Rogue Invitational and them seeing you girls, you know, do those amazing things. That's so inspirational for my daughters and the positive body self-image and all that stuff. Right. Like, you know, what about us as indigenous people? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and so, I've had some struggles with that just in the recent six to eight months as we've been, you know, going, but I mean, ultimately it's, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what your new why is Roger. And so it is, it's mine. It's, it's to bring CrossFit as a methodology through the vehicle of primary healthcare to our indigenous nations so that they can reclaim their lives as providers and protectors to their families. And so that's it. Yeah, that's it. And so beautiful like your whole journey of getting to that. And I'm sure the the path before you will be as well. I love what you said about 
about your inner circle. And I think that's something that I personally have gone through over the last couple of years, realizing how important it is to have that inner circle of people and that love comes in a lot of different ways. Like you said, it's not just always the fluffy love. It's sometimes the people who are, who you want to tell you the truth, even when it's hard to hear, because you know, it's going to be best for you in the long run. And like you said, that elder who made that comment to you, you know, she, she was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back that allowed you to be where you are today, which is really cool to see. But in that moment, I'm sure you didn't feel very good when you heard her say that. But I think also the point that I've learned too, is it's important to have trust uh, when you make those, when you speak that kind of truth, because sometimes if you, if you just go speak that truth to someone who you don't know, or you don't have a trust with, um, it's not always received in the best way. So I think that's important, like maybe coming from an elder in your community or in your CrossFit gym, your community of people that you work out with and go through hard things with and sweat sweat with every day. Then we earn that ability to be able to really be honest with each other and speak truth to each other with love, um, knowing that we're going to stick by each other through whatever, you know, whichever way our journey takes us. Any other commonalities? I loved what you talked about with just sort of the parallels between CrossFit as a ritual and CrossFit sort of as um, church, which I've heard, you know, that analogy before. And I think there's so many similarities, just the ways that it brings people together, going through something hard together, you know, the workouts being hard, taking on challenge together and going through that and then celebrating on the other side. Are there any other similarities that you find that you think that are why CrossFit would be especially an especially good fit for the indigenous culture. Yeah. I mean, Julie, for me, the, the biggest connection I find uh, is this repatriation of identity, like CrossFit as a community done on indigenous land will bring that warrior spirit back to our people. Mm. And I mean that both not masculine, but also feminine as well. So like we didn't have a diversity or division between you know, women warriors and men warriors, like men aren't the only ones that can be warriors. We had women warriors as well. And so for us, it's, you know, bringing back that courage and, and I attribute it to the nation building that our Maori brothers and sisters have done and the battle that they've done for their indigenous identity and bringing back ceremony like the Hakka, right? So the Hakka, the spiritual dance that they do, the all blacks do it at every single one of their matches and it reinstills that, hey, we're Maori, we're not going anywhere. You tried to kill us all, but we're here and we're alive and well. And I think CrossFit as a ritual practice can actually do that for our Indigenous people and explain to them and say, hey, listen, you don't have to cover up anymore. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to, you know, you can come out of that shell or you can come out of that rock or that hard place Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to beat you up anymore. We're not going to allow, mm -hmm. yeah, we're not going to allow people to beat you up or to talk bad about you anymore. Or we're not, you know, but that we're going to love on you. We're going to encourage you. And we're going to help you take those, you know, layers of of the onion off of of yourself. And we're going to help you take it off. We're you know one layer at a time. We're going to mm -hmm. work with you to do that. And again, not every one of our indigenous people are going to become you know, elite athletes, that's not our goal, but our goal is so that we can become a fit nation again, because again, in another podcast I did just recently, 
you know, we weren't a fat nation. As Indigenous people of the world, we were not a fat nation. We lived subsistently. We had a good relationship with food. We understood the importance of living subsistency and preparing and making sure that we ate the right foods. Mm-hmm. So this, this traditional ancient knowledge just has to be uncovered. And what beautiful thing did our, did our founder, Greg Glassman, talk about was, you know, food as fuel. And the hundred words, you know, of mm-hmm. CrossFit, right? Like just keeping it simple. Again, that's an indigenous principle, right? Keep things simple, you know, and, and mastery is one of those in the circle of courage to take that first step to do something that's outside of yourself. I think those are some parallels and like looking at lacrosse, for instance, lacrosse was a very vicious warrior driven affair, And it would go on for days. And we talked a little bit about that. And that's an indigenous sport Mm. that's well recognized across the world. Um, But that's how we trained our warrior society. And and we actually have a name for it. It's called the Ogichidawa Society. So it's the warrior society. And it doesn't have a masculine or a feminine. It just is. And so this idea around reclaiming the ideas around being a protector in your community, you know, that again, me as a Bear Clan member, I'm responsible to ensure that my hands are for healing and holding, not for hurting. And so it's important to to remind our people of that Mm -hmm. and to remind our people that as a protector, that I put myself between whatever's going to harm you. And and I put myself there. I sacrificed myself to do that. That, That's something that we did uh, way before the colonizers came. And interestingly enough, a lot of our stuff is built on natural, um, natural like herds. Like if you look at Buffalo, they always put the elders and the weak people in the center mm-hmm. and the warriors go on the outside and it's not masculine or feminine. It just is. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those things we just adopt and adapt within the way that we govern ourselves. And so there's a real big, Julia, a real big resurgence right now of indigenous identity in native North America there's a way, there's a real resurgence in our governments to do self, self-declaration self and self-determination, you know, declaring independence with the Canadian and the American governments, going back to our own constitutions and the ways of life. I know when I was a, a tribal leader in my community, that's one of the successful things we did was we declared independence against Canada and we basically have our own constitution and we make our own laws. And so we start governing ourselves because Section 35 of the Constitution in Canada says that we have the right to self-govern. We have the right to to walk the way that the Creator gave us, you know, our Gishimanitu, that great mystery that's out there. And so we have that right. And so some of the parallels with CrossFit is the same thing, right? I mean, I can't, I mean, we could sit here and talk about your training schedule a long time ago, but, you know, you have the right to be a winner, you have the right to compete in the CrossFit games. I think that's the switch, to be honest, that you flipped. I watched the video the other day when you had that, when you had that problem with your foot and you're like, you know, I'm going to flip the switch. I have the right to compete. I'm not going to let this hold <laughs> me down. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that we want to build confidence with our kids, with our people that have been hurt and abused. And so for me, what a better place to do that is within the sacredness of our CrossFit gyms and our CrossFit boxes with, you know, people who love them and really care about them. 
you know, not just because they're a member on a membership list or they pay a membership fee, but that they really want to see them get their first double under, you know, or they want them to see them, you know, get their first pistol or have them come consistently, you know, do the, the 30 days a month, you know, or, or meet their goals, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of parallels, to be honest. A lot of parallels. And I'm excited to see sort of how this takes off. Could you talk a little bit about what you're doing with CrossFit Indigenous and how you're working to really be a catalyst to bring CrossFit into more Indigenous uh, populations? Yes. So, so CrossFit Indigenous launched back November of 2020. So the vision around CrossFit Indigenous, again, with all due respect to CrossFit HQ, they're a great partner of ours, uh, but we just basically started it because we were Indigenous athletes, uh, Indigenous affiliates and Indigenous box owners that had the same why, right? The same, you know, reason of taking the methodology that Greg created of the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum, and bringing that into our communities through CrossFit as a methodology. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we all came together and, the, and it started out with myself and 12 others. And it came from a series of events uh, that occurred. And a lot of it was the unmarked graves that I talked about. We actually did an honor wad uh, from Chris mm-hmm. and Christine Stillbore. It's a 215 honor wad. Uh, we can post that on the bottom. Yeah, I think I'd love to. Link. Um, but we're going to do that on National Aboriginal Day, which is in our country, it's um, June 21st. And then we're also going to do it on the National Truth and Reconciliation Day. But I promise you, I won't get political. But on those <laughs> two days, Canada has chosen to recognize the history of Indigenous people. So we are going to recognize those babies or those Benonjis, those those kids uh, that offered their life as a living sacrifice and went into Indian residential school. And we're going to honor them by doing this 215 workout. We did it twice last year. You wear an orange shirt, uh, tons of CrossFit boxes joined us and they did the workout with us and they posted, they posted the honor workout and their pictures. And it was an amazing thing, you know, to recognize. And again, some of us got shit for it because they were like, well, you shouldn't be doing that because you know, it's unmarked graves and it's political. And I'm like, you know what? My great grandmother went to Indian residential school. My grandmother struggled with you know, some issues because of Indian residential school, we're honoring those baby stories. We're honoring those kids stories because they were stolen. They were stolen generation. They were taken from their homes and they gave their life as a living sacrifice. And so for us in an hour workout that we can do, we also are going to sacrifice and give a blood offering and recognize their spirits and their voices that contribute to the power, the resiliency of our nation, because we are strong people and we will continue to be resilient. Like again, like I shared about the Maori, the Anishinaabek nation, we are here, we are alive, we are well, and we will become a fit nation again. And we will reinstill our warrior society once again and lead in a good way. And so with CrossFit Indigenous, Indigenous is a politically correct term that represents First Nations people, Métis people, and Inuit people. And so that being the indigenous population of native North America and Métis people being recognized as descendants of Louis Rial and the battle uh, that happened uh, at the Forks in Winnipeg with Louis Rial. And so again, it's not just somebody who has mixed heritage because I would be considered Métis based on that definition because my mom's French and my dad's 
uh, Anishinaabek, but I'm fully status First Nation, registered under Mississauga First Nation. And there's a whole other talk about how people get registered and citizenship and the colonial ways around that. So we'll leave that. Mm-hmm. But so CrossFit much to Indi- learn. Yeah, but CrossFit Indigenous is focused on those three Indigenous nations that recognize here in Native North America. And we are awesome in the sense that we have a person, a CrossFit person from each of those pillars, mm. right? So we have individuals who are Inuit. We actually have a CrossFit master's athlete who went to the games last year. That's her name's awesome. Robbie. Her name's Robbie Morin. Uh, she's from something happy Goose Bay, Newfoundland. Okay. Um, so we have two members who are Inuit. Uh, we have a couple members who are Métis as well. And then we have some First Nation status members, and we have two members that are from the states. So we have Durrell Cooper, who's the tribal chairman of the Apache Nation in Oklahoma. Uh, he sits on our, our council as well. And we've got a Seminole brother that will be looking to join our council soon. So again, it's trying to, again, to have that equitable representation across our nation. But the other thing that's important that's unique about our council, Julie, is that I and we as a council believe in the allies. We believe in the treaty relationships. We believe in partnership. And so we have an allies council. And so the allies council that's a part of us is where CrossFit HQ sits. Mm -hmm. So CrossFit HQ sends Elaine Marino, the, the global head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So she's on our council. Uh, Trish has been a great supporter. That's where Pete Shaw, one of the seminar staff sits as well as a couple of the non-Indigenous box owners sit on on that committee or that council as well. And we meet once a month, the third Thursday of every month. And so in that, we've started to grow. We've started to look at what our strategic directions are and what we're, we're looking at. And currently we have four of them. One of them is to be able to find Indigenous athletes. That's why we came together was to create a space and a place to find Indigenous athletes. So we've done that. We have an Instagram and a Facebook page. And so the Instagram is at CF Indigenous. So if anybody's out there who's listening and they're Indigenous and they want to join, please like uh, our, our Instagram because we're using those two streams as being our communication tools. Our goal, yes, is to fly an Indigenous flag in the, Indig- in the CrossFit Games at some point. That is a goal of ours but we have to find ourselves first. So we want to be able to uncover who are the indigenous athletes uh, and be able to do that. That's the first thing. The second thing is we want to provide access. And so we're really looking at providing access to our indigenous people regarding CrossFit. And so there's two ways that we're looking to provide access. One is to work with CrossFit HQ and being able to establish CrossFit indigenous affiliates. So that's our focus is to have a CrossFit Indigenous affiliate on every First Nation, Métis, and Inuit reserve in Native North America over the next 35 years. That's our goal. And we want to be able to work with that. And and also, we want to integrate that with the local health services, the Indian health services, or the non-insured health benefits of Canada. We want to be able to do that and integrate that. So that's the first part of access. The second part of access is to work with non-Indigenous box owners healthcare systems, as well as local physicians to be able to build capacity and have access for our Indigenous people to have access to their wonderful methodology. And I say that because I'm taking this call or this interview with you at CrossFit Calgary 
mm-hmm. here in Calgary, Alberta, where again, it's Brent, uh, Brett is a non-Indigenous box owner who is an OG, 16 years this guy's been slugging at it in this town and has a passion to be able to provide a home for Indigenous people to come and be mm-hmm. a part of the community, but also to give them opportunities for internships. So that's also important, why we have allies, so that our Indigenous people who go and get the some of the capacity that we're going to talk about the third stream that can come back to a place uh, to learn and to coach underneath a great uh, internship opportunity. And we've got two people doing that now. Uh, Kelly is one of our council members. She did her level one. She's doing an internship program at Orleans CrossFit in, in Ottawa, as well as Darius uh, took his level one. And he's actually at uh, Cedric LaPointe is his coach at the CrossFit over in Gatineau. And so, again, it's working with non-Indigenous boxes to give our people access. The third pillar is we really want to focus on capacity. And so this is where the beautiful story comes at that we were sharing with you the other day. And this is where we need allies a lot to help us. And so capacity building is so important. And so our goal is to be able to create, and we've established two training centers in Canada. One training center is on the Eastern coast, and that's in New Brunswick at Eel Grounds First Nation, run out of CrossFit Pound with Brad McMillan. Again, Brad's an OG, been doing CrossFit for 12 years, owning an affiliate for the last 10 years, Indigenous member of the Mi'kmaq Nation. So we are working with him to create this Eastern Training Center where we can provide annual level ones to our Indigenous athletes, but then also a Western Training Center as well on the Western side of Canada uh, so that we can train Western uh, athletes as well. So we're hoping to have in May, which we are scheduled for the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th, which I'll talk about next, a training session for our level ones. Uh, where Chuck Caswell and the beautiful team of CrossFit's coming to be able to provide this great training for our Indigenous athletes to learn, you know, from the Godfather himself, right, Chuck Caswell, to teach our people how to learn level one and to learn the functional movements, learn what it means to, you know, what CrossFit's all about, you know, and and so on. So that's going to happen on the 12th and the 13th of May. And then we're going to offer one as well in September, in the West, on the West Coast, where our goal is to train 40 in each of these sites, 40 individuals, Indigenous individuals, uh, to be able to get their level one. So that's the focus. But then as a part, which is unique of our Indigenous partnership with CrossFit, we're adding two more days on to the level one, and we're doing the first ever CrossFit scholarship program for our kids Mm -hmm. as a part of this is as well. So very similar to what Chuck did uh, in Atlanta and in Philadelphia, the first ever outside of the United States scholarship program is going to be offered on Indigenous soil. And what better way, you know, to recognize the power of an Indigenous partnership than that. And so that's actually happening on the 14th and 15th of May, where 40 of our kids are going to have access between the ages of 14 and 18 the CrossFit methodologies that potentially might be the catalyst to change our nation. And we're going to do that on both sides, on the East Coast and the West Coast, annually every year. And so that goes back to the the posting that we sent to you guys. And that's really focusing on us from the grassroots level. And like I said, we can accept corporate sponsorships, but we really want the grassroots people to, to have a way to invest. So our council has developed a GoFundMe page 
for us to be able to raise $60,000 a year, for us to be able to invest in 40 total CrossFit scholarships at $1,500 Canadian uh, for those 20 East Coast and 20 West Coast every year. And so the good news is, is we just hit our $2,000 mark yesterday. And so we can offer, and that's a grassroots fundraise, mm-hmm. that we can offer one scholarship from our people paying it forward for a CrossFit Indigenous athlete being able to take their level one. So what better catalyst could you have, you know, than training a level one Indigenous person to go back into their community and be that change they want to see? And so then I think the fourth thing we want to talk about is the competitive side and the pinnacle of the CrossFit pyramid, which is the sport and developing the sport and the competition side. But again, those are, that's our vision. That's our goal. And that other four, fourth pillar is where CrossFit health comes in, indigenous health comes in and how we want to be able to impact, you know, our CrossFit indigenous medicine people. So Dr. Sarah Douglas We'll actually be flying to New Brunswick to take the level one in May because we believe that our physicians, our Indigenous physicians are just as important and a part of the chain or the circle, mm-hmm. the circle of care and the circle of well-being uh, within our model and methodology. So that's the vision in a nutshell. And so we're looking for people to help us to get the word out, just like you are, Julie. We're so thankful that you're giving us the opportunity to come and share the story. And we know that this is just one of many other steps that we're going to take, but anybody else who wants to help or has questions, they can contact me at uh, cfindigenous at uh, gmail.com or call my cell phone or, or get a hold of me because we want to be able to do this together and to see our 35 year vision come true. That's amazing. What a big vision and so comprehensive and looking really at the long term, which I love how amazing to be able to offer you know, your youth and your young people an opportunity to really learn, not just be exposed to CrossFit, but really learn the culture and the methodology that comes with the level one. Um, I'm excited to see sort of where that goes and the ripples that that then has on all of their communities. That's really, really incredible. So hopefully, you know, we'll link up to that GoFundMe page if people want to check it out and learn more and hopefully make a donation and help support some young people to go to this level one in May. As we wrap up, I do want to shift to three questions that I ask everyone at the end of my podcast. So I see you smiling. You might already know what they are. But um, the first question is, what are the three things that you do now, Roger, that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Uh, One, I do my CrossFit wads every day, Uh, regardless, regardless of how I feel, regardless of me driving 28 hours from Michigan to Calgary yesterday. Uh, I'm still going downstairs and I'm going to throw down with these teens here at CrossFit Calgary. I do it every day. I think it's important. I also think it's important to, to connect with my wife, pillow talk in a, in a good way and check in and make sure that things are well. I check in with my kids, which is always important. But I think also the other thing that's, that's important is that, you know, I'm learning about meditation and Mm. sleep hygiene and, you know, really how important sleep is. Cause I don't know about you, but I have a condition called monkey brain or monkey mind or the hamster <laughs> wheel or whatever it's called. I've been working on mine too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm, I'm trying really hard to do the Ben Bergeron unplug, put my phone out somewhere else. There you go. Night. So that's the third thing I'm working on. So 
I love that. Well, that was going to be my next question is what's one thing you're working on or something that you know would have an impact on your health, but you struggle with. Is that what yours would be? Yeah. So CrossFit wise, I'm trying to kick up to the wall. So, oh, all right. I mean, anybody who can, I mean, my friend there at Excess uh, CrossFit in, in, in Denver, you know, Sarah's given me some great pointers, but I can't tip. I'm scared. I just can't tip over and kick my feet up. And I know all of you who are watching, you're saying, yeah. well, the wall will catch you. Yeah, it's easily said than done when you're, when you're you know, two, 250 pounds trying to yeah. kick up on a wall, right? So, it's a little bit unnatural if it's not something that you uh, grew up doing, <laughs> I yeah. can imagine. So CrossFit-wise, that's what I'm working on. And then just recently, personally and professionally, I've taken a new job with the new Chana Tribal Council uh, on Vancouver Island. So I'm working really hard to, again, try to bring CrossFit to our Indigenous people in a good way to help us with our diabetes, but also uh, looking at the impacts of COVID-19 and, and how that impacts our people. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to push the envelope as much as I can. I'm also, I haven't told anybody, so Julie, you're the first one to hear All this. Right. I'm studying to take my level three. All right. And so so we'll, I haven't told anybody. So now That's I very to, exciting. Now you've got to do hard, it. You so. got to follow through. You said it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm looking to take that actually before we go to the games. So I'm going to take that in July. So I'm hopefully, fingers crossed, I've joined a study group. That's big. So, so we'll see what happens. That's big. Well, I'm sure you're no uh, stranger to taking tests with all of your degrees. So. Yeah, <laughs> but sure. you know what? Did you? I don't know if you heard. I don't know if, if, if Pete or Jen shared with you. I actually failed my level one twice. Oh, okay. So, well, it is a different kind of test, especially <laughs> all the nuances of, of training and movement and having to visualize certain cues and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a different kind of test. The judging course every year crushes me. So <laughs> yeah. I can sympathize with you there. Last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? Oh, man. You know, for me, I, I think I go back to my indigeneity and you know, really focus on balance in the, in the four quadrants, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, and really trying to find that mental bamadzwan or the good fulfilled life that we were given by Gishe Manitou, our, our creator. And mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's a struggle every day. I wake up, you know, I do my prayer every day to, you know, help me to figure out, you know, what I need to do today. But like I said, I, it's an ongoing, ongoing discovery or rediscovery of what that looks like. I do know that I'm on the right path and mm -hmm. CrossFit is CrossFit is definitely an enabler to help me find that fit life. But I think it's a balance in those four domains and uh, I'm still trying to wrestle through it. So. I love that. I'm in the same boat with you. And I do think it is a journey, right? You're, it's if you, you, you never really arrive at it. I think that that's yeah. what this life is all about is just forward progress and getting closer to that. What you said, fulfilled life. Very cool. Well, again, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time and for all the incredible education, a lot of things that are, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, um, but I think are so important for us all to learn and know and accept and, and hopefully to bring healing to your people. I'm so grateful that you shared your personal story, which is very vulnerable and, and you know, not easy, but I know that you are inspiring so many just by living your own life. And like you said, wrestling with your own demons and having your own personal transformation. And I can see how that 
that in and of itself allows you to build trust with with other people who then can follow that same path and and lead in their own communities. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Hopefully, you know, some listeners here will be able to support either your your level one coming up here in May or future endeavors. So again, we'll link to that GoFundMe and we'll link to your Facebook and Instagram and some of the other references that you brought up here during the podcast in the show notes. So thank you again so much, Roger. This has been awesome. Problem. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people. 